We're preaching through a series called Types of Christmas, where we're looking at uh, this idea of uh, types uh, and how they apply to from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is not necessarily an idea that most of us are used to thinking about, this word type. But the word type, uh, when used uh, in a context of Bible interpretation, uh, it means a preview. Right? So if something is in the Old Testament is a type of something in the New Testament, it means it's a preview of what is going to come. Okay, so for example, today we're going to be talking about Moses and talking about how the life and work of Moses is a preview of what came through Jesus. Uh, but before we uh, just dive in, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this just chance we've had to worship you. Uh, thank you for the gifts of music that you've given to all the uh, people who have blessed us this morning and for their hard work that they put into it. Um, I pray now that you would help us as we take a few moments to study the scriptures. Please open our um, hearts and open our minds to understand and to listen. Um, please inspire within us by your spirit the ability to understand and apply in our lives the lessons that come from your word. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a type is not, when, you're, we're, when we're doing biblical type study, the point is not to learn more about the thing. So for example, today we're going to be talking about Moses, but the point of it is not to learn more about Moses. The point of it is that it's an arrow that points to something greater that we're going to study. So I found a nice picture of Moses. He's pointing, right? And he, it's the, the type is the thing that comes before, and it points an arrow at the real thing that's going to come. And it doesn't just point to it to say it's coming like a prophecy, but it's a preview of it. It's a step along the way towards that thing. So by looking at it, the point is we're going to be trying to learn a little bit new or more about the real thing, not about the step along the way. You know, if the wise men had said this star that led us here to Jesus, this star is amazing. We need to dedicate our lives to studying this star. They would have missed the whole point. The point of the star was to get them to the real thing, the real excitement. Um, so that's how a study of types in the Bible works. So a type, why do we look at it? A type is useful because sometimes looking at the lesser thing helps us better understand the greater. Um, and that's why we look at it. So there are many ways that Moses can be looked at as a type, as a preview for Jesus. Um, God used him as a savior to bring the Hebrew people out of uh, slavery uh, in Egypt. And the whole Exodus story can be looked at as a preview of our individual and group salvation journeys, how we move from bondage to, in sin uh, into salvation, leaving that through the Jesus Christ, and then entering into the promised land of life under the kingdom of Jesus. Um, so there's a story to be told there, but that's we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on one particular aspect of Moses' ministry and how that points us towards Jesus' greater ministry. 
And that's Moses as a lawgiver, and then Jesus as a lawgiver. All right, so that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, who knows what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Someone knows it. Louder? Psalm 119. It's very long. All right, so I encourage you to read it, but I also encourage you to get comfortable before you get started. Uh, and what it is, is, so Psalm 119 is a love song. It, it's a, it's some, a love song written by someone who is obsessed with their love for the law of Moses, right? Um, now, so you already know, you have two warnings. One, that it's long. The second warning, if you're going to read it, prepare yourself, because the writer of that psalm really has the hots for the law of Moses. Like, is, he's, if your Valentine said things to you, like the writer of that psalm says about the law of Moses, you would be embarrassed and think maybe this is a little over the top. Okay? Uh, some examples. In verse 20 of Psalm 119, it says, My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. So, isn't that what you want on Valentine's Day? Your, your love to look in your eyes and say, my soul is consumed with longing for you at all times. You're like, all right, ease up. All right, so uh, in Psalm 119, 119, verses 46 to 48, he says, I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on them. Oof, intense. So just to be clear, this is the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that he's talking about. Now, I'm not saying that those aren't great books of the Bible. They are, but I've never myself felt compelled to write love poems about them. You know, just how, you know, just how excited I am about them. Uh, but this author was. So it's a reasonable question to ask, why? Right? And um, why was he so in love with them? Why did he find them to be so beautiful? Um, and uh, he, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, but we're also going to talk in Psalm 119, in, amidst all that love and gushing about the law, there's also some lines that kind of acknowledge that the law is lacking something or that there's something that's still missing. So in verse 123, which is still not even close to the end, but in verse 123 of Psalm 119, it says, My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. So the idea being, if you can imagine, he read in there, he read in the law that there's this promise coming, this promise of righteousness, and he's looking to the horizon, waiting for it to come, but his eyes are failing because it hasn't come yet, right? So there's this idea of understanding that as much as he loves this law, there's still something missing. Something else is still needed. Um, so question, why is the law of Moses so beautiful? Um, because if the scriptures say that it's beautiful, I think it's worthwhile for us to look at it for ourselves and say, 
what's so, what's so great about it? You know, what is so great about that law? Um, so for a couple of things to think about, consider what the law was like in Egypt before the Hebrews left Egypt, right? Their law was Pharaoh's will. What he said was the law was the law. And that's, that's a terrible law to live under. A law that takes one guy and his whims, if he decides that this is what should happen, then the law is all the Hebrew babies should be killed. Right? That was the law. Right? If he decides that all this suffering of the ten plagues, we're just going to have to keep letting this happen instead of letting the Hebrews go, that's the law. That's a terrible way to live under a law. Um, it's a fickle just based upon one person. So compare. So why would the law of Moses be so much better? Compare. On the contrary, the law that God gave Moses carefully lays out rules which govern not only the people, but also the leaders. And those rules are carved in stone by God, not changeable based upon Pharaoh's mood or Moses' mood. The law was the law, carved by God. And it's, that is, of course, if the leaders are following the law. So another way that the law is beautiful is that when it was given, it was given with this tremendous glory and power of how God gave it. So if in Exodus uh, chapter 19, this is at the beginning of the story where God is giving the law. And it says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So, so that, was, that was a day, right? Well, actually, it was 40 days and 40 nights when Moses went up onto the mountain. And then when Moses came down from the mountain, when Moses came, this is Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So, once again, amazing, right? A glorious thing to happen. Moses goes up the mountain. He goes up into the fire that's on top of the mountain, the mountain that's shaking and smoking, <laughs> 
and trumpet blasts, and the people hear that God is speaking with him, right? Then Moses comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing so that everyone is afraid of him, right? So he puts this veil over. So this is an amazing, I mean, this is amazing stuff, right? So in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about this event, this event where Moses' face was radiant and glowed and it was covered with a veil. But he doesn't talk about it the same way that the author of Psalm 119 talks about it, with the law being so beautiful. He talks about it a little bit differently. Um, This is under the context of a new law that he's received from Jesus. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. Okay, let's hold on for a second. This is the same law that the guy in 119 was saying how much he loved. Now, the Apostle Paul is calling that law the ministry that brought death. It's a slightly different perspective on it. Uh, So if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. So he's saying it came and it went. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now compared with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, what came and went, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, which doesn't come and go? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So I just want to real quick explain, because I don't know if you guys are catching this, but the Apostle Paul is kind of criticizing Moses here. Right? He's saying he put the veil on when the face was shining, but left the veil on when the face stopped shining so that people couldn't see that the radiance was fading. Right? It's kind of like the shine was, was going away, but let's leave the veil so no one knows. Right? Let's leave it showing. He goes on. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, to Jesus, that is, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, Paul uses this image of a veil to describe the transition from the law of Moses, which is a type 
a pointer, a step along the direction, a preview of the better thing, which is what comes under Jesus. So he uses this veil to describe the transition. The veil that Moses wore was originally because of the bright glory shining from his face. But after a while, the veil was worn to conceal the fact that the glory had faded. And all that was left was a law written on stone. And that law was only able to bring about condemnation, not lasting and growing heart transformation. By comparison, when we turn to faith in Jesus, there is no need anymore for a veil to conceal the limitations of the law. For a new law is revealed in Jesus, which is different in nature. Not written in stone, but written onto the hearts of the faithful, of you and of me. As we contemplate Jesus' glory and are being transformed into bearers of that glory. Not a glory in the way of Moses. It's not like we're shining like light bulbs. Not an actual glowing face, but something better. Actual goodness and righteousness being produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So therefore, the glory, this new glory, unlike the old glory, doesn't need a veil. Because the point is that you can look at it. You can see it. It's really there. And uh, we don't need a veil because our real lives are where that glory is exhibited. And where people can look to see a representation of how this new law is at work, right? So just to unpack that a little bit, you know, would I, should I be nervous that because I'm not perfect, because I make mistakes and I sin, that people are gonna look at me and say, oh, well that, that takes away from the glory? No, the exact opposite. I don't, there's no, no need for a veil because the fact that someone like me with all my warts and problems, my good days and bad days, the fact that that can be, this is the new law, that God is working through those kinds of people. God is bringing real righteousness into their lives. Let it show. Let people see it. Because that's the new, that's the new law, and that's where the glory is. No need for a veil to, to hide the fact of what things really are. Um, so that's uh, Paul talking about this stepping stone of from uh, one step of the law of Moses, which he seems to be not so keen on, calling it a law of death, into a new and glorious law which comes in Jesus. Um, so now quickly we're going to just go through a few other ways where we're going to show just a comparison to show how we can learn from the law of Moses about the law of Jesus, we're going to look at what came before, then what came with the law of Moses, and then what comes with the greater, with the law of Jesus. So the first one, before Moses, there was a law, you can read about it in the, in the scriptures, that vengeance was 70 times 7. Right? If you read in the line of Cain, he had a grandson the name of Lamech. He said, a man wounds me, I'm going to get my revenge 70 times 7. And that was the law, right, uh, for him. And then you see what happened, that the world was filled with violence and unending reprisal. 
because there was no limitation put on seeking justice. If you hurt me, I punch back 10 times harder. Right? That's how life is without, with no law. Then we bring in the law of Moses, where there's a step forward, not all the way, but, one, but a step forward where we see a limited and defined revenge, and it must match the offense, right? And there must be witnesses, two, at least two witnesses, right? There's a limited amount of way that revenge and reprisal can be done. But then, what does Jesus say? He brings back the 70 times 7, but in a different way, right? If your brother offends you, how many times? Peter asks, how many times should I forgive? 70 times 7. Maybe the hardest of all Jesus' teachings, right? But it's, a, uh, it is, uh, it's the law that was given by our Lord and King. So uh, another one. Before Moses, power and authority came from strength and from violence. You know, what gave, what gave Pharaoh power? It was that he could kill you, right? That he had an army and that he was powerful. That's where authority came from. In the law of Moses, written laws established property rights, leadership, and organization of society. That was a big step forward, but only a preview, right? Under Jesus, we have a new law, which is even higher. The last shall be first. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whatever you have done or not done to the least of these, you have done or not done to King Jesus. This is the higher law, higher than the law of Moses, that we now have under our king. Before Moses, there was no way established for reconciliation between mankind and God. It just, there was no, no one, if you asked anyone, they would say, I don't know, right? Moses brought a limited access to God through the tabernacle system. Right? There was a limit. Only certain people, certain times, certain places. Under the law of Jesus, all mankind has access to be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus. And we are the temple of the living God, building, being built together of living stones, like Peter said. Before Moses, very few people were following the true God. Sometimes only one family. Right? The law of Moses established the Hebrews as a nation representing the kingdom of God on earth, right? Then the law of Jesus extends his kingdom to include all tongues, tribes, and nations. So you can see this preview leading up to the real thing. Before Moses, no one knew what was an appropriate way to worship God, right? People worship God, but nothing was given as established as this is an appropriate way to worship him. Under the law of Moses, Moses provided a system of clearly defined sacrifices and offerings, which had to be given over and over again. Right? The law of Jesus, Jesus gave himself as a once and for all satisfactory sacrifice. And he clarified that right worship is faith in him and following the way of life that he taught. So therefore, you can see how Moses was a good step along the way that points towards something bigger and greater. Before Moses, sin was uncontrolled, 
undefined and universal. It was everywhere. Under the law of Moses, sin was clearly defined, and punishments were set to limit the harm that sin could do. But under the law of Jesus, actual righteousness becomes possible through a changed heart and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Before Moses, every man was his own law, and laws were set by the powerful to take from the weak. Right? That's how it was. Uh, under the law of Moses, a large number of laws were given to create a more fair and to regulate society. Those same laws applied to everyone, and, they were and lo special laws were provided to protect those in need. Under the law of Jesus... He says that the whole law of God can be summed up under love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we can see how the law of Moses is beautiful and is a powerful step forward from what was there without it. But it's not the destination. It's not where we arrive. It's a pointer that points towards this greater law that Jesus gave. Um, so I just want to close with a little meditation um, because if you look at this comparison, this last slide here, it's not like this law that was there before Moses has gone away. This principle is still at, at work in the world. Just like the principle of doubling down on revenge, the principle of every man decides for himself what the law is, that people not knowing what sin is, all these things are still there. And there's a mindset, there's a way of interpreting the world that's associated with that. Then there's also a mindset and a way of interpreting the world that is like what the law of Moses is, right? Which is rigid, limited to who it applies to, only certain things are okay. Only certain things can be part of God's plan. And then, praise God, the law of Jesus is alive and active in the world, right? But the challenge for us as believers, as we're interpreting our own lives and interpreting the things that happen in our situations around us, is which of these mindsets are we going to operate under? And understanding when we hear a voice that's telling us something, which way of thinking is that speaking from, right? So just because somebody tells me something is right, so, so let's have a good example. Let's just say somebody treats you, mistreats you, right? You say, one person would say, because they're operating under the law, even before Moses, the law of the world, they'd say, they hit you. Hit them back twice. Whatever, you know, you, you, if you don't stand up for yourself, they're just going to do it again. Right? That's a, that, that, and that sounds, that sounds reasonable under that law system. There's somebody else who might say, well, you need to defend your rights. There's rules here, and those rules need to be followed. And you need to enforce it and make sure that your rights are protected. That also makes sense. That also sounds like good advice, right? And that is exactly what something beautiful like the law of Moses would say, right? But 
it's not the end. There is somebody else who might give you advice and say, where is grace in this situation? What does it mean that you have already been forgiven so much in how you're going to interpret this, in how you're going to react to this, right? What, is the long, what does it mean that let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How's that going to apply in this situation? That's the law of Jesus speaking to you. So this is a challenge. It is a big challenge because there are many voices both within us and around us that are operating under, all, under these different methods. And they can all sound right, right? You know what I mean? They can all sound right at different times. So the challenge for us is learning to, do, to strengthen our muscle at discerning which is the law of Jesus in this situation. And how am I going to apply it? And how am I going to live out of it? Because sometimes those other laws sound very good. Uh, but the law of Jesus is our law that we live under, under our King and our Savior. So Jesus said it sums up in love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. So let's close by just reviewing what is love as defined by the Bible. Because this is a very helpful thing for us in interpreting the world and understanding what is the law of Jesus in these situations. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, there's more. I mean, we could probably do a year-long study on what is love as defined by the Bible, but this is a good sample. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's, that's a hard one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. As we're trying to interpret the world and interpret our own lives, I think it's very helpful to understand, is it love? And does it fit with these ideas? Because there's an awful lot of voices, even in the Christian world, that are proud, that are dishonoring others, that are definitely keeping a record of wrongs, that boast, envies, unkind, hasty, not patient. But we need Jesus to help us to see what actual love is. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us to see what actual love is and to understand that this is how, when, we are, when we're interpreting, when we're deciding what voices to listen to, when we're deciding how to understand the things that are happening in our lives and in our communities, we need to be able to identify which is the voice of Jesus so that we know who to listen to and who to follow and who, how to lead and how to make decisions. So let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you that your law is beautiful and good. 
not like the worldly law, which is vengeful and based only on power, and not like the law of Moses, which is rigid and only capable of condemnation and not changing our hearts. But Lord, we ask that you would make it more and more true each day what was prophesied, that you would write your law on our hearts so that we can actually live it out and that when people see us and when we interpret life around us, love for you most of all and love for our neighbor would come forth and that that love would be as you define love, rooted in truth, but also merciful, ready to forgive, gracious. Lord, please make this a reality in my life and all of our lives. Help us to hear that voice, to see your law, and to live our life in that as you have commanded. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.